Over the years, I have done dozens of funerals. I've stood with a family at a graveside like this and led them through some important goodbyes. Usually someone will share some memories, we'll read a scripture and pray, and then we leave. Every now and then when I go home, I go to the cemetery where my mom and dad is buried. And I just spend some time remembering their life, celebrating them. And then I leave because no one wants to spend longer in a cemetery than they have to. Cemeteries are known for one thing, death. No one goes to a cemetery to celebrate. No one goes to a cemetery to have fun. They go and they pay their respects, they say their goodbyes, and then they leave. In the headstone, there's a name and a date. There's a name that represents somebody's life. And there's a date that represents a beginning and an end. And for most of us, we try to push that date off as far as we can. But eventually, this is our final destination. That all changes when Jesus shows up at a cemetery. He makes this place of death a place of new beginnings. And so no longer do we go from life to death. Through Jesus, we go from life to life. What if this isn't someone's final destination? What if death does not have the last word. What if death is not the end? What if it is just a transition? Well, hey, everybody, welcome to The Crossing today. Always great to have you with us. Um, let me just welcome all of those who are joining us as well, The Crossing West Henderson, St. George. Uh, we are two weeks away from opening The Crossing Midtown, Lord willing, and our microsites. Those watching online, can we give all of them a great big hand right now? Love you guys. Glad you're part of The Crossing family with us. Well, when I was in seminary, I took a lot of theology classes. My degree is in biblical literature. So I learned not only how to study the Bible, but I also had a lot of courses on Bible books and genres of the Bible. But another course that I took was called Practical Ministry. And in Practical Ministry, they try to teach you all of these things that, that you do as a pastor in a church. And so they taught us how to do a hospital visit. We learned how to perform a funeral, how to perform a wedding. We even learned how to do baptisms. So we went to a church that had a baptistry, and we baptized each other back and forth, and we learned all of those things together. But when I finally got into ministry, I was faced with all of these situations that no one taught me how to handle. I remember being at this guy's house trying to, to talk him into giving me his gun so that he wouldn't take his life. And I think back now going, what in the world was I doing? I have counseled people through the most horrific situations imaginable. When I was in my 20s, there was this dear couple that were friends of ours in our small group, and they had a boy who was born with spina bifida. Spina bifida is a birth defect that affects the, 
the formation of the spine. And the doctors told them that he would never live past two years old. Well, Jimmy defied the odds because his parents, they took care of him. They saw to every need that he had. They had 24-hour-a-day care for Jimmy. And Jimmy and I became friends. I would oftentimes go over to his house to see him. He would come to church every week. And when Jimmy was 12 years old, I baptized his dad And then his dad and I went and got Jimmy and we carried him into the baptistry and we baptized him together. Well, it was three years later that Jimmy lost his battle. And I was in the room with him when he took his last breath. And no one prepared me for that moment. No one prepared me for what that would be like, what I should say or what I should do because that is real life. And you might find yourself in a situation right now that you don't know what to do because nobody can prepare you for the uncertainties of life. There is no class to teach you how to be prepared for loss or tragedy or disappointment or heartbreak. But the Apostle John comes along and he says that the answer to what you're going through is not that it would just all go away, but the answer is a person. It is Jesus. Well, we're concluding our series that we've been walking through the gospel of John, and we've called this series Signs, because John arranged his gospel around seven miracles, but he doesn't call them miracles, he calls them signs. See, these miracles of Jesus were not just random acts of kindness, they were signs that pointed to who Jesus really is. And those signs convinced John that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. And he writes his gospel. He says, the reason I write my gospel is because he wants you to believe the same thing as well. He wants you to be convinced that Jesus is the Son of God. And so today, we hit the last and the final sign, which is the seventh one, the raising of Lazarus. Now, this account is found in John chapter 11. And this sign is the high point of John's gospel in Jesus' public ministry. In each of these signs, John has shown us Jesus' power and authority over false gods, over religion, over nature, over the old covenant, over Satan's work. And in this sign, Jesus is going to defeat the biggest enemy of all. It is death. And it will set the stage for the last and greatest sign, which is the resurrection of Jesus. But what we're going to see here today in this sign is we are going to see both the humanity and deity of Jesus in a very specific way way, that we get to see God's heart for those who are grieving and God's power over sin and death. So here we go, John chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Well, Jesus didn't just have disciples, he had friends. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus were three of those friends. And they were so close to Jesus, they don't even use his name. When they send word to Jesus, they just say, the one that you love is sick. Please come now. Please come now. They were probably somewhat wealthy. 
They lived in a, in a house in Bethany, which is a small village about two miles away from Jerusalem. And so just to kind of give you a picture, if you can just kind of picture the temple here and the temple mount here, this is the Mount of Olives. And just on the other side is where Bethany is. And Jesus would often stay in Bethany when he would come to travel in Jerusalem. So my guess is he probably stayed at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus's house. It says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Well, we read this, and if you know the story, you know that Lazarus dies. But Jesus says, it will not end in his death. He says that all of this is going to happen for the glory of God. See, whenever we go through something, we always ask why. Why do bad things happen to good people? And Jesus is going to take the greatest enemy of mankind, death, and he is going to defeat it, as John says, so that Jesus will be glorified in the midst of that. Well, it goes on, and it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Well, this doesn't even make sense to us. Because we think if he loved him, why would he stay two more days? Why would he do that? Literally, this says he stayed until he knew that Lazarus was dead. And this doesn't make sense to us because we think that our comfort is the ultimate goal. See, this is where almost every one of us is at some time of our life, is that we think that our comfort is the ultimate goal. But John wants us to know that Jesus loves these people because in the moment, it doesn't look like it. And sometimes in your life, it doesn't look like it either. And this wasn't just for the benefit of the people in this account. This is for you. And this is for me. Because Jesus has a greater purpose. And so Jesus says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they replied, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus, last time we went to Jerusalem, they tried to kill you. If we go back this time, they're going to succeed. And if they try to kill you, they're going to try to kill us. We don't think this is a good idea, Jesus. But Jesus says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Well, this last week, I got sick, and it was the sickest I have been in years. I was up all night long. I was so sick, I started praying, God, either heal me or take me. We've all experienced that, and the disciples have too. So they begin to give Jesus medical advice. Lord, don't wake them up. Jesus, when people are sick and fall asleep, they're getting better. The fever has broken. Well, thank you, Andrew, for letting me know I had no idea. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. 
but let's go to him. Okay, guys, let me just clear this up for you. He's not really asleep. He's dead. And it is for your sake that I'm glad that I was not there because I am hoping this will lead to your belief. And it is for your sake as well. And for your sake. And for your sake. It is for the sake of every parent who has ever buried a child. It is for the sake of every wife who's ever buried a husband, a husband who's buried a wife. It is for the sake of every child who's ever buried a parent, every person who stood at the graveside of someone they love. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now this is a brave heart moment right here. Because we just know Thomas is doubting Thomas. But he wasn't always doubting Thomas. He's like, if Jesus is going to die, I'm going to die with him. Guys, let's go together. So says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Let me tell you why this detail is important. Because according to Jewish burial customs, the Jews believed that when a person died, that the spirit of that person hovered over the body for three days looking for reentry. But after three days, the spirit would go to what they called Sheol, which is the place of the dead. So Jesus wants to make it clear that he and he alone has power over death. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, She went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. And that's exactly what you would expect from these sisters because we learn about them in Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, Martha is the busybody. She's the one trying to get all the preparations for the dinner all made because Jesus is coming over to dinner and she's stressed out. And Mary is the one who's sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha is the type A personality and Mary is the type B personality. She is the contemplative. So when Martha hears that Jesus is almost there, she goes out to have a come-to-Jesus meeting. I'm not sure if you can have a come-to-Jesus meeting with Jesus, but she does. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. This is so honest and so raw. She expresses what every one of us have thought. Jesus, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Jesus, this is your fault. See, every one of us have thought that. God, you could have changed this. God, why didn't you? God, I don't understand. But Jesus does not scold her. He just says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She thinks that Jesus is just giving her the spiritual answer. Like when when someone comes up to you at a funeral and says, they're in a better place now. Or they say, well, you know what the Bible teaches. Well, we know that it's true. It's just not very comforting in the moment. She's like, well, I know he'll he'll rise again someday at the resurrection. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. 
I'm not talking about an event that's going to happen on the last day. I'm talking about a person. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the living embodiment of everything that you have hoped for. Through me, death no longer has the final word. I am the resurrection and the life. The one, this is anyone in everyone in every generation. This is you. Jesus is talking to you. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And this phrase right here, this word right here that the Apostle John uses throughout his gospel, this right here means to place your trust in. This doesn't mean to believe about. This doesn't mean to believe that. It means to put your trust in something. See, Jesus redefines death for us. Even though you die, you will live. And if you have life in me, you will never truly die. That death is simply a door. That death is simply a transition. And so Jesus asked her, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Yes, Lord, I don't have all the answers. I don't have it all figured out. I don't have to understand everything to believe something. But then she gives this incredible confession. It is the same confession that we've just seen people make. It is the same confession that every follower of Jesus has made with tears in her eyes. Even though my brother died, I believe that you are the Messiah. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. And then Mary shows up. And Mary says the same words to Jesus. She says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Because her and her sisters have been talking together for four days. Where's Jesus? If Jesus had been here, Jesus, how come he's not here? If he had been here, our brother wouldn't have died we can't believe he's not here. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. This word deeply moved literally means to snort like a horse. The idea is to snort in anger. That Jesus is audibly expressing his anger. This is a, oh, this is not just an emotion that's inside. He is expressing this emotion that Jesus is angry over pain and sickness and death. He is angry that when sin entered the world that it brought pain. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then we find this extraordinarily tender moment because Lazarus was Jesus' friend. And Jesus enters into the pain and emotion that Mary and Martha felt. And Jesus enters into the pain and emotion that you have felt when you have lost someone that you love. It just says, Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. 
And I'm so glad that when they were putting the, the verses and chapters together, they left these two words as a verse all by itself to put this exclamation point that Jesus wept. He feels your pain. He understands. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And there we are again. Why didn't he do something about this? If he really loved him, he would not have let him die. And we're tempted to think the same thing. Because we equate God's love with our circumstances. And Jesus is going to blow the doors off of this misconception. Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? Jesus, you're so late. He's been here for four days. You are so late. But Jesus is telling you and me that God's glory can be shown through your worst moment. So they took away the stone. And I just kind of envision that everybody just takes a step back. Like, he's been dead for four days. I'm stepping back here. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have, not, that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus says, I'm not praying this prayer for me. I'm praying this prayer for every person who hears this and for every person who hears about this in future generations. That the most important question is not, why do bad things happen? The most important question is, who is Jesus? Because if Jesus is who he claimed to be, then those things get reconciled and explained in Jesus. And when he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, and I'm just trying to envision this. Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, and his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his feet. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Jesus has the community take off the grave clothes. I mean, this guy comes out, he looks like a mummy. He is completely wrapped up. But Jesus wants every one of them to take part in freeing them. He wants everyone to experience this sign. And then John just concludes by telling us this. He says, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. They placed their trust in Jesus. So here's this big idea for us. See, here's where this all applies to our life. It's this, this right here. That Jesus already handled your greatest issue. Jesus already handled your greatest need. I have a close friend of mine who is a pastor in Phoenix. 
And a few years ago, he came down with a rare autoimmune disease. And this disease attacks the lungs. And he spent much of the last year or so in and out of a hospital room. He wasn't able to work for nearly six months. He could barely get out of bed. The doctors have told him that if his lung capacity drops below 40%, that he's going to have to have a double lung transplant to save his life. Well, right now, his lung capacity is at 43%. So he has to be careful every time he goes into public. He has to be careful who he shakes hands with, who he hugs, because if he catches anything, it could be devastating for him. Well, a few months ago, he and his wife were in town, and so Darla and I, we took them out to dinner. And so as we sat down at the restaurant, I just asked him, I go, tell me how you're doing. Just give me the update of what's going on. And what he said blew me away. He says, I'll tell you what I've told all the doctors and nurses, that we all have one issue, and it is not a physical issue. It is not a financial issue. It is not a career issue, and it is not a relationship issue. It is a sin issue. And Jesus handled that on the cross 2,000 years ago. I'm doing just fine. Think about Lazarus. He died again. After Jesus raised him from the dead, Lazarus becomes like this rock star. Everyone wants to see him. Everyone wants to see him and touch him because you're the guy who was dead for four days and Jesus brought you back. Everybody wants to see him and he becomes famous. The Pharisees now not only want to kill Jesus, they want to kill Lazarus. They want to get rid of him. But Lazarus is not still walking around. You cannot go visit Lazarus today in Israel. He's not there. He died again, which means... His greatest issue was not that he got sick and died. His greatest issue was his sin issue. And Jesus handled that on the cross. Jesus already handled your greatest issue. All of us get caught up in whatever we're dealing with at the moment. And we're tempted to think that, that comfort is the ultimate goal. We equate God's love with our current circumstances. And this is not to minimize what you're going through because I know that some of you have crushing burdens going on in your life. One of the things that I think about before I get up and speak is I know that there are people who have walked through these doors with burdens that just seem too heavy. They just seem too big. And Jesus understands that. He knows what pain and loss feel like. He knows what you're going through. And Jesus comes alongside you and he promises to be with you through whatever you are facing. But know this, he already handled your greatest issue. He handled that on the cross. And for those of you who are on the verge of giving up because of difficulty in your life, I just want to say to you, don't give up. Don't give up. You're not the first, and you won't be the last. But the light of the world has come into this world for you, and he handled your greatest issue.
So I want to give the opportunity for you to respond to Jesus. I want to give you the opportunity to respond to this message of Jesus. Because what Jesus has said, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, places their trust in me, will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. See, Jesus links this life and the next life together. And he holds the keys to both. The life that Jesus offers you is a promise to be with you through whatever you are facing, through whatever you're going through. It's to give you the ultimate life through him. So I want to give the chance for some of you to surrender your life to Jesus. For those of you who have never surrendered your life to Jesus, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that today, that today could be your day, that Jesus has taken care of your sin once and for all. The only thing that you have to do is accept that. You have to receive that. And so here's what I want to ask you to do. I just want to ask just everybody in this room just to bow their heads. And if you're wanting to surrender your life to Jesus, just repeat these words after me. You can just repeat them just between you and God. Or you can word these in your own words. Just say this. Say, God, today I surrender my life to Jesus. I am making Jesus my Lord and my Savior. God, thank you that Jesus took my sin on the cross to give me a new beginning. Would you forgive all of my sins? God, I give them to you. I give my life to you. For all of you who have prayed that for the first time, your next step is to be baptized. Because baptism is where you participate in the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You have the opportunity to partake in what he did for you. God, we thank you for this incredible story. God, the compassion that we've seen of Jesus to not only weep with us when we weep, but the power to defeat sickness and death once and for all on the cross. So Jesus, we surrender our lives to you. We submit to you as the author and the perfecter of our faith. We give you all of us. So thank you for what you have done. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.